Today on Pilgrim Radio's His People, Robert Waldheis on life in prison and how God used solitary confinement in his life. That's really where I believe God had to bring me to get my undivided attention. No more distractions, no more, uh, I just want to be able to speak into you. Robert Waldheis next. Through time served in jail and prison, Robert Waldheis was incarcerated for a total of about 10 years. He was released in 2015 and today is Donor Relations Manager for Crossroads Prison Ministries in Michigan. In a Facebook post he wrote to us, he described how Pilgrim Radio was one of the tools God used to grow his faith while he was in solitary confinement in Ely, Nevada. Robert, what can you tell us about your early years? Were you raised in the church? I grew up in a Christian home, uh, went to church twice on Sunday. I grew up Christian Reformed. Uh, my mom was always very involved with uh, music at the church, and uh, she was the worship director wherever we went, and so very involved with church growing up. But I always felt like there was this disconnect uh, that I didn't quite fit in. Uh, almost, uh, I was looking at things from a very works-based uh, uh, viewpoint, I guess, and like I just wasn't going to measure up and. I, that was very disheartening to me. I didn't know, uh, I guess, how to work through that. So I went to uh, high school at South Christian High School and um, graduated in 1994, barely. I got kicked out of my senior year of high school just for behavior issues, and uh, but I ended up getting my uh, diploma from them and went to the Army uh, in 1994. And I thought that was going to be a place for me to really just get my feet under myself, kind of start my new path. Mm -hmm. I remember when I went to get my dog tags right at the first part where you're getting intake uh, in uh, in the army there. And they asked, what religion would you like us to put down on your dog tags? And I said, don't put anything down. I don't, I don't want to be affiliated with any of them. Mm -hmm. And um, Shortly after basic training, one of the things all the guys were doing is going out and getting a tattoo. And I remember walking into that tattoo place and I saw I was flipping through these pages and I ended up seeing this angry, mean devil that was flipping you off with both hands. And I said, that's what I want right there and put it on my chest. And I had no idea at that point. I wasn't a devil worshiper, but I was just anti-Christian mm. is what I and I just didn't want anything to do, you know, with that. So, but that decision ended up leading me down a path of, uh, you know, I ended up getting divorced and, you know, we had kids real early and uh, drug addiction set in. I was in and out of rehabs for a little while. Really had a hard time getting control of life, I guess. I just couldn't uh, get my feet under myself. So you no. were raised in a Christian home. You went yes. to a Christian high school. Uh, yep. it, it obviously it didn't end well. You you ended up going to the army. Did you get through the army okay? Were you? Were you... I did. Yeah, okay. I was actually in. Uh, I did six years in the army hmm. band. I played trombone. I've always uh, loved music. I, you know, like I said, I grew up in a musical household, and my mom still uh, twists my arm every once in a while to mm. come and play for Easter or Christmas here now. So, mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. Well, and so as you said, you got that tattoo, and that kind of made a statement, obviously, to those who 
saw that uh, your, your your marriage uh, ended in divorce, as you said, and so forth. Yeah. Any other choices? Uh, the choices which led up to you actually uh, ending up in prison. And I don't know if you, did you just go one time or did you did you go to prison more than once? Sure. No, I've been to prison once. Uh, I did about five years, three months at a time uh, in jail, just being hard headed though, leading up to prison. So. Uh, total incarceration time around 10 years, but I just, I couldn't get, I couldn't get a handle on life. You know, I was really white knuckling through so much of my twenties and early thirties and in and out of rehab, in and Mm. out of jail, not paying child support, not keeping a job. Uh, just life was a mess and, uh, not plugged in at all to any churches or any, any groups or anything like that, any support groups. And I was very, very closed. I didn't want anybody to know about stuff that was going on internally, how I was processing things. It was very, very much a closed door. Mm. And so how, how did you eventually end up in prison? And how long were you in prison? Sure. So I guess one of the key moments or a kind of a pivotal moment, I was in Las Vegas and uh, had an opportunity to traffic drugs to Utah. And this was in 2007 and uh, 2006. Um, and so I, I was trafficking drugs there and ended up getting caught. And doing, I ended up doing a year out in a Utah jail. And three days before I got released, and this was April 6 of 2007, so this was Good Friday, uh, so Easter weekend, I got a phone call and I was, you know, told to come to the front. So I go up there, get answer the phone. And, uh, it was my ex-wife who I had my four children with, and she was letting me know that, uh, my children were involved in a car accident and that my two oldest sons were killed in that accident. Mm, I'm sorry to hear that. And, uh, hmm. you know, I had some really tough conversations with God walking back to my cell and, uh, just sitting in my cell then that weekend, and I was released on Monday, uh, like I, you know, was planned. And when I came back home, and this is, you know, 2007, I came back home, and I just didn't know what to do with all of that. I, you know, my parents were grieving, my, you know, every everyone around me and my family was grieving, and here I am, this anomaly that has been out west selling drugs and acting crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, now here I'm home. So I ended up, I, I stayed clean for uh, maybe about six or eight months or so. And I ended up relapsing. I was out in Virginia and ended up relapsing while I was out there. And that was 2008. And I drove back to Las Vegas and started up. I thought, you know what, I'm going to start my life over in Las Vegas again. And it probably wasn't two or three hours that I was in Las Vegas and I was right back at the things that I was doing. I had a hotel room, I had money, I had computers, I had, you know, all the stuff to do negative things. Mm -hmm. And, um, and that just started down a path. I remember telling myself at one point, I'll never put a needle in my arm. That's, you know, I'll smoke drugs, I'll snort drugs, but I'm never going to put a needle in my arm. And it was early 2009 and, you know, I'm shooting up every day Mm. and uh, methamphetamine really brought me to the absolute end of myself. And it was, uh, in between 2008, late 2008 and July 26th of 2010, 
I racked up around 53 B and C level uh, felonies in Nevada. And by the time I got arrested the last time, uh, the state of Nevada said, yeah, we're not playing with you anymore. Uh, you're going to do some time now. Mm. And went through the court process. It was long. I had to go, you know, all these different cases. I had an attorney that was trying to get everything kind of lumped into one. And uh, it ended up uh, July, you know, in 2010 there, after I got arrested, um, I ended up finally doing like a global negotiation and I went to prison on four separate charges. So there was like one uh, drug related charge and then three that were uh, fraud related, uh, which I was doing to finance my addiction. So you ended up in prison in Ely, Nevada. Is that correct, Robert? So I ended up, I started out in high desert state prison and I just didn't have the street out of me yet. I don't, that's the best way I can describe it. I still thought, ah, I can get away with some things in here. And, and so I tried to do that for the first year that I was there. I wasn't really taking my time seriously. I wasn't really in the word that much and, uh, was just you know, figuring out a way, how do, how do I survive this next uh, three to 10 years? I got sentenced to three to 10 was my uh, controlling overall sentence. Mm -hmm. And, um, and when you get in trouble, when you're in prison, uh, then they send you to the hole. And that's why I ended up in Ely. Uh, so I got caught doing what I was doing. It was uh, just a credit card type scam thing while I was in prison. Mm. And they said, yeah, we're not playing with you anymore. So you're going to go to the hole. So uh, they moved me up to Ely and that was a ride in and of itself. <laughs> and when you say the hole, I mean, for people that aren't familiar with uh, that, that's yeah. solitary confinement. It is solitary confinement. So I was sentenced to two years in the hole. It is uh, 23 hours a day lockdown. Uh, you get out of your cell once every three days or so to go take a shower Sometimes the uh, one hour out of your cell would be at two in the morning. It could be at 12 in the afternoon. You never know when it was going to be, but it'd always be by yourself. Um, no religious programming. You know, it's not like we had a church that we could go to or anything like that. Yeah. The, the cell was six feet wide by 14 feet long. Mm. Uh, you know, it's 84 square feet, right? <laughs> and, yeah. So I've heard. And yeah. And that's uh, your existence there for, uh, for that two years. And, uh, but that's, that's really where I believe God had to bring me to get my undivided attention. No more distractions, no more. Uh, I just want to be able to speak into you. So my guest today on his people is, uh, Mr. Robert Waldheis. He, uh, today, uh, works for Crossroads Prison Ministries in Michigan. He's a donor relations manager, but we're talking about, uh, his, his life uh, a number of years ago, serving time in prison, ended up in solitary confinement in Ely, Nevada. And so uh, tell us about that, Robert. And uh, you, you say as you were in solitary confinement, you believe that God used that to to get your attention. Was this the point at which you came to put your faith in Jesus as your Savior? So my mom, when I got to the hole, my mom signed me up for this little Bible study called Crossroads Prison Ministries. And she had done that before. I mean, I, you know, every time I got in trouble, she would always, uh, you know, sign me up for Crossroads and I would start doing their lessons. And uh, it's a correspondence based Bible study. So I was able to, you know, write up my answers. I'd send it, somebody would review it, and then they'd send something back to me. And it was through that and through just the personal reading of the word, 
I remember I, I woke up one morning and I was getting ready for the day and clear as day, I remember hearing, are you done yet? And I just, I just stopped kind of dead in my tracks. And I just remember feeling like, are you done yet? Because your best efforts at life have landed you in this box and I've got this big life waiting for you. I just need you to turn around and, and follow me. And, uh, I just remember saying, I'm ready. Yes, Lord, I'm ready. And ever since then, it just feels like I have a different fire inside of me. I remember when my mom came to saw me when I was, uh, in the hole, they came to visit and I remember her saying, you have a calmness now to your spirit that you didn't have before. Yeah, that's that's really where I feel God got a hold of me. And then through things like Crossroads, through things like Pilgrim Radio, I mean, we didn't have a lot of radio options while we were mm. up there. Mm -hmm. And Pilgrim Radio was part of my routine. I mean, my mom saved every single letter that I wrote to her while I was incarcerated and after kind of going through some of these letters here recently, and that's why I had initially reached out was, uh, you know, I just remember writing in there in a couple of them, like, man, Pilgrim Radio was great today. Or, you know, we had, uh, you know, I'm taking notes on this sermon. Or I remember one time they moved me from one cell block to another cell block, and I wasn't able to get Pilgrim Radio anymore. And how frustrated I was because the easiest way to try and survive when you're in a setting like that is have a routine. You got to have something to look forward to, something to point towards. Um, so it was that routine that uh, really meant a lot to me. And, and besides, uh, well, there was Crossroads Prison Ministries, there was Pilgrim Radio, as you said, you wrote about it uh, to your mom. Uh, and it would sound like just talking about your mom for just a moment, it sounds like even though you went through so many difficult times, and uh, it, it obviously made so many errors and so on in your life, she, it sounds like she remained faithful to you and, and stayed in touch with you. Very much so. I, I value the support and the encouragement and love that I had with my parents uh, so much. My dad actually worked for the Department of Corrections back in Michigan here. Hmm. Our, our relationship was a little strained because of that. Um, but my mom was my biggest cheerleader, my biggest fan, and uh, continually poured love and encouragement into me. And uh, if it was a positive resource that she could send in, uh, all I would have to do was ask. I remember I asked for a Bible one year and she sent that in. I've had uh, various magazines and that sort of thing, just good things to fill my mind and my, and my heart with while I was kind of in this transition period. Do you remember anything specific, Robert, uh, in the Bible, in the scriptures that particularly spoke to you, maybe when, mm. you, when you were in solitary confinement? 1 Corinthians 16, 13 through 14. So be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, and let all that you do be done in love. Mm. And that to me was such a guiding verse for how I wanted to begin living my life because so much of it had been robbing, stealing, taking, um, just being a negative influence. I remember my mom said to me one time while I was in the hole, she said, if you could just learn to harness your that energy that you have, instead of putting it into negative things, putting it into something positive, 
she said that that's your key. You have to be able to find how you can push into something positive. So you were in solitary confinement, you said for two years and you were released. Did you spend some, some time in the general prison population yep. for a while? Yep. So after that, I uh, was released and then I was sent uh, to a conservation camp in Wells, Nevada. Uh, I did, uh, I was on the fire crew up there. I worked for the camp. I was kind of the camp office manager because I had some computer skills. So they needed somebody to get kind of their logistics and everything, uh, you know, inventories and that sort of thing. Um, I worked for that fire camp though for two years. I mean, we did everything from putting in fencing to um uh, putting out fires. I remember our first fire uh, was they helicoptered us into this huge, it was like 16,000 acres. It was right near the border of Idaho, Nevada. Hmm. And uh, it was just good to be outside. It was good uh, to work again and, and feel like you're doing something. And uh, yeah, it was released in 2015, got out. Uh, one of the guys that was uh, communicating with me over the last uh, couple of years that lived in Michigan. He owned a car dealership and I asked him, I said, Hey, you know, I'm not looking for a handout, but uh, if you're looking for somebody to work for you, I'd love an opportunity to, to prove myself. And I ended up getting a job for nine bucks an hour, cleaning toilets at a car dealership. But man, I went into work every day, happy, happy, and grateful, mm. <laughs> uh, just grateful for the opportunity. When you say, Robert, he communicated with you, it, it, do you mean in, in like a Christian sense? Correct. Yeah. He, uh, he went to church with my parents. So he mm. heard, you know, their, uh, them talking, you know, prayer requests and just general conversation that they had and they knew, they knew him. And I, I knew of him before that, but, uh, didn't really have a close connection or anything like that with him. But, um, yeah, he j would just send an occasional, you know, encouraging letter, just wanting to know how I was doing. And, um, I had a few people from that church reach out and do that. And that makes all the difference when, uh, when you know that there's some people out there that care and are just encouraging you on the right path. And, um, yeah. Is that the church that you're in now? It is not. That church is in Grand Rapids. I hmm. live out, uh, I live about an hour or so away from there. We're very plugged in with our church uh, here in our town. Um, and I sit on the board of another church uh, that really focuses on uh, prisoner reentry and also ministering to the families. Uh, it's called Central Bible Ministries. And uh, yeah, and we do uh, that and also kind of a, an addiction recovery type focus. So. Hmm. And I guess I should go back just one last time to your time in sure. prison. Was there, uh, did you have Christian fellowship when you were there with other believers? Ooh. Was that possible? A little bit possible, but I never, I think the end, I got baptized when I was in prison. So, mm -hmm. I mean, there's that, mm -hmm. but it, I remember it was so hard to get, there were so many guys that wanted to go and there were very few religious services opportunities for me while I was locked up. And uh, so I took advantage of whatever I could, but I, I'm going to say probably in five years, I maybe went to church services 10 times, maybe. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you were, you were released in 2015. As you mentioned, there was a man in your parents' church who had corresponded with you and who gave you a job, gave you an opportunity mm -hmm. to work when you got mm -hmm. out. So that uh, I've, I've heard for uh, inmates getting released, that is often a major challenge after prison is getting is getting a job, but you, you, God blessed you with one. But what about besides that? What are, what are some of the other challenges? I mean, adjustments, uh, reintegration, whatever you might want to tell us about. Give us an idea of what that's like to go back sure. into society. 
Yeah, one of the biggest things was uh, if I mean when you when you look at what I was involved in, I was really just hustling and living on the streets. I mean, I was selling drugs, living out of hotel rooms. And when you live like that, you don't have the normal day-to-day things that normal people have. I wasn't paying an electric bill. I wasn't paying a phone bill. I wasn't, you know, all these little things that are normal for for people in regular society. Like for me, I'm coming out of prison at age 38 and I'm like, I got to learn how to do this. Like, what is a budget? Mm. I, I didn't have a budget. I was just living hand to mouth uh, for many, many years. So um, having people around me that understood that process and understood um, we're going to have some patience with that process and also help that, you know, my, my employer was very, very good about making sure, like if I had to go see my parole officer or do a drug test or something like that, he's like, Hey, you know, take an hour off and go do that. Or, uh, so to have an employer that's understanding about that process, because it is hard enough to, first of all, find a job, but then second of all, to find a job that, uh, is flexible enough to allow you to still meet those demands that you have on you when you get out of prison. So, so here we are, uh, roughly eight years later after being released from prison, and and my understanding is now that you, your mom had put you in touch when you were in prison with Crossroads Prison Ministries, which got you into the scriptures and, and studying and that kind of thing, and now you're actually working full-time with them. Tell God us about so good. Tell us about Yeah, <laughs> that's amazing. One of the... <laughs> habits that I started while I was in prison was running. Uh, August 1st of 2014, I said, you know what, I, I'm 270 pounds. I need to cut up, cut my weight a little bit before I get out. And I started running a half mile a day and then that I upped it. And then I just kept upping the distance a little bit, lost a little bit of weight. I got out. I had a passion for running and a few people that were writing to me started uh, paying for little races here in the local community. And that ended up, I ended up just being passionate about running, passionate about the running community. I think it's part of my addictive behavior, um, mm. but it was channeled into a much healthier uh, direction at that point. So, yeah, I ended up being very, very involved in the running community. I've done uh, my lar- my longest distance was I ran across the entire state of Michigan in one shot, it's 150 miles, and uh, did that in 39 hours and 59 minutes. So, mm. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, but through that, I I ended up meeting so many other runners, and um, my now boss uh, also works for Crossroads, and she was also a runner. Uh, ended up contacting me one day, and uh, we sat down and had lunch. And I said, hey, you know, I was a Crossroads student, and she said, oh, and now we really need to talk. And so we chatted a little more about that. And um, a few months later, they contacted me with a possible job opportunity. And I felt like that was God saying, um, this is how I'm going to redeem that time. Uh, I don't want you to be ashamed of it anymore. I don't want uh, this whole thing can be a blessing to someone. And what do you do with, with Crossroads? Sure. I'm a, yep. I'm a donor relations manager. So, uh, I like to joke with people that I'm the chief thank you officer. <laughs> That's great. And, uh, <laughs> uh, my job is really reaching out to, uh, donors and supporters of our ministry and making sure that they feel, uh, acknowledged and appreciated. And it's not lost on me how, man, God can work through anything. Um, you know, here I am 10 years ago and I'm 
stealing from people. I'm using their checks and credit cards and identification. Now here I am 10 years later and I'm talking with donors and supporters of our ministry for and thanking them for their financial gifts to continue our ministry. So uh, it's for me, it's very much a full circle uh, moment. And uh, I just love seeing how God works through all that. Well, Robert, in your uh, how, we, how we got introduced to you is you uh, left a post on our Facebook page, and you mentioned in that that uh, you were considering maybe doing a little documentary or writing a book. Uh, t- tell us about that. What, like, w- what kind of a documentary? Yeah, I, I put it out on Facebook a, about a month or so ago, just to some of my followers. I just said, hey, you know, I'm, I want to talk about my solitary confinement experience. And I was initially planning on doing a five or 10 minute video. And I, I said, hey, you know, if anybody has any questions about solitary, I'd love to answer them. Uh, I think it would be fun. And I was overwhelmed by hmm. some of the questions that came through. And after looking at it, I said, man, this is going to require a little bit more than just a five or 10 minute quick documentary. And there were some good stories. And then I looked in that box of all those letters and I have all of it written out. Like I was very descriptive in my letters to my mom about things that were happening and things I was going through. And, and there was an interest there. So, and, um, yeah, so I I felt like this is an opportunity I can share a little bit about my story and where I came from and this crazy experience of solitary. I mean, solitary is very controversial for some people. I had, uh, you know, some people say, hey, you deserve that punishment. We're going to lock you up and throw away the key. And some people say, uh, you know, it's inhumane punishment. So regardless of which side of the spectrum you're on, I feel that learning from someone's experience is always valuable to see, like, what did they actually experience? Mm -hmm. As we kind of draw to the conclusion here, Robert, Mm -hmm. now there's so much more of your story, but is there anything else you'd like to to leave us with at this point, either anything else, uh, any insights about prison life, prison culture, or ministering to inmates? Uh, You've given us certainly an idea of of, uh, solitary confinement, but... Anything else about your experience, about how God has changed your life uh, that you'd like to leave us with as we wrap up? I would say I love organizations that follow God's call. Crossroads followed God's call 40 years ago uh, when, when they started on ministering to people that were behind bars. I know that Pilgrim Radio, your initial, uh, when you set out, wasn't to necessarily to minister to people behind bars, but you have a little station there in Ely and there happens to be a prison right there and not a lot of programming options. And so you're following God's call by providing that Christian programming. And so I want people out there to know that that programming is not just falling on hard ground and and not going anywhere. The call that you guys have and that you're obeying is making a difference in my life. It has made a difference in my life, and I think it still is making a difference in lives. And I know that there might be just one person from Ely Prison listening right now. And if you are, I just want to give you a little bit of hope. Hope that things can change. Hope that there is a Savior out there that cares about you. Jesus loves you. You're not defined by your worst mistake that may have landed you there. That can be redeemed, and I just want you to know that, yeah, just know that there are people praying for you, uh, and praying for you and 
your journey. Uh, don't be afraid to turn back to God. God loves you right where you're at. And my encouragement to you today is it doesn't matter how big your cell is. I've been there. Uh, you can be free inside of that cell. And, uh, and Jesus is the one that did that for me. And I hope you'll give him the chance to be able to do that for you. And just a footnote here, Robert, the ministry that you're involved with today, Crossroads Prison Ministry, tell us a little bit about what it does. Sure. Crossroads Prison Ministries is a correspondence-based Bible study. Uh, we are in all 50 states and in 24 countries. And here in America, we service around 40,000 or so uh, students, we call them. We don't uh, we don't call our students inmates. So, um, But we have around 40,000 students and we have around 3,000 volunteer mentors that review the lessons and then send them back into the prisons. And what sets our program apart from a lot of other Bible studies that go in and out of prisons is that we ask our mentors to write a one-page encouraging letter to the student along with that. And those letters are like gold. I mean, I used to take those letters and hand them out to other people after I got done reading them because it's just a general letter of encouragement. Uh, so we've been, uh, next year will be 40 years, and um, they've been faithfully uh, stepping in that gap there for the last 40 years and, and really reaching people. You've been listening to His People on Pilgrim Radio. Many thanks to our guest, Robert Waldheis. Donor Relations Manager for Crossroads Prison Ministries. Go to cpministries.org. Coming up on tomorrow's program, it's Shane Claiborne on the new monasticism movement and his time spent working with Mother Teresa. I would consider it a Christian movement, and I have learned a lot from the Protestant denominations, and I've learned a lot from the Catholic and Orthodox and other streams. So I, I like to think we're trying to go for that unity that Jesus prayed for in John, you know, that we would be one as God is one. That's tomorrow at this same time right here on His People. Thanks for listening.